Well, we are continuing this morning in our new teaching series since our fall launch kickoff called In a Hurry, where we're looking at some particular practices each week for how to unhurry our lives. If you haven't caught on for my fifth year around the sun with you guys, is that I like to do some sort of take on the spiritual disciplines each fall to sort of refocus ourselves, kind of a rule of life or spiritual disciplines or these practices that lead us into really the abiding presence of God. That's what, that's what we're called to do. That's what we were created for. And so this, this year, it's how to unhurry our lives, following a few habits of Jesus that we see him practice in the Gospels, modeling our lives after him. And it's really just another way to respond to the invitation that he has for us, where he says, come, follow me. Let's hang out. Come be my apprentice and I will teach you my ways, my patterns, my way of living life day in and day out that will lead to peace and joy and life abundant. We started this series last week and kicked it off sort of reading from Matthew 11, but the message version, version I think really speaks to at least my heart in this season. It says this, this is Jesus, the invitation. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good to my spirit about now. Are you tired? Are you overwhelmed? Are you burned out on religion? And I think what we mean by that is kind of mentioned last week of, I don't always love using the term spiritual disciplines because it feels very regimented and required and strict and like it must be done every day to check off. And that's not quite what Jesus is inviting us into. He's inviting us into a pattern, a rhythm of life, where we're sort of aware of God's presence with us always, but there's also particular Jesus habits or Jesus practices have been calling them that invite us in to that spiritual presence. This isn't a requirement. Jesus doesn't command us to do this. It's an invitation. If you'd like to live life like this, if you'd like to find life that lasts, let's hang out. Come with me. I'll teach you my ways. And truly, I think in our time and place, stressed by all the things that can demand our time and definitely our attention in our fast-paced digital world, there's a sense that we can feel that hurry, that hurriedness, the, the hurly-burly, as I said last week. Life are always trying to catch up and catch our breath. And even if we do have time to sort of slow down and rest, we can feel so overwhelmed by everything else, by the problems that face our families and our world, that we feel like we can't even get our arms around completely. That even if we do have time to slow down and rest, we can feel anxious or restless, that disconnected from God and even our very own souls. So we're being invited today to learn to live freely and lightly, to learn those unforced rhythms of grace, life with Jesus. 
So last week I talked about what this yoke actually means when he says, hey, my yoke is easy. For a rabbi of that time, a yoke is just simply what was referred to as like a set of, of teachings. So every rabbi had a yoke, a way that they uh, understood the Torah, uh, a way that they taught their, their set of teachings. So it wasn't abnormal that Jesus had a yoke. What was unique about his is that he said it was easy. And that's simply of like what we understand the yoke to be if we think, okay, Jesus, if you're inviting us to a time of rest, we should be getting a vacation or like a nice plush new mattress so that we can sleep really well. But instead, what Jesus gives us is a yoke. It's a work instrument used for farming, a way to shoulder our load. Jesus doesn't give us an escape. He gives us a way to shoulder the daily demands of our life that he knows we will face of our work, of our kids, of our responsibilities, of things that we can't, can't get out of. But it's a way for us to shoulder our load with him that actually lives. It's, it's easy because it leads to life in partnership with him. So that was sort of how we set it up last week. And now for the next several weeks, we're going to simply look at a practice each week that we see Jesus, a habit of his that we see Jesus practice in the Gospels and think about how we might make space in our day-to-day demands of time and attention that, that leave us feeling so hurried uh, and behind and, and always late. I was late this morning. <laughs> it's okay. We arrived here, right? But always leave us feeling that sense of hurriedness a way for us to shoulder that load. So the first practice that we're going to look at this morning, we've kind of already practiced a little bit. You saw it on our promo video. It's a simple practice of silence and solitude. Now, some of you are already like, ooh, nope, I don't like silence. Nope, nope, that was awkward earlier, and I really don't like it. Um, So next, I know you're already thinking that, but give me a minute. We're going to look. We're going to look at what Jesus did. Uh, and why he needed to practice it so frequently, actually. We actually talked about this passage of Scripture uh, just a few weeks ago in the last uh, week of our um, tossing and turning in the wilderness. We ended with Jesus. It's always a good place to end on the high note. And we saw Jesus, kind of the first, most obvious place we see him practice silence and solitude in the Gospels is when he was in the wilderness for 40 days praying and fasting, and, as it were, being tempted by the devil. You might think, well, that we really think of that as a time of temptation, but the way that the Gospel of Matthew tells it is that he was in the desert for an extended period of time, praying and fasting, and then he was hungry, and then the tempter came. And so there was a significant amount of time where Jesus was practicing silence and solitude. And when we looked at this passage just a few weeks ago, we actually saw that this played a very important role in Jesus' life and ministry. It was a season of preparation for him. Right after his baptism, right before he was going to begin preaching the gospel, this 40 days in the wilderness was a time of preparation for him. A time when he had to solidify his identity as the Son of God. What would it mean for him What would it mean for Jesus to be the Son of God? Well, it was to trust God the Father in all things and to stay obedient to the mission placed before him. That's what we said two weeks ago. 
Because here's the thing, the temptations that he faced in the desert, those temptations for glory or for power, for control, for fame, to go at it a different way, maybe still achieving the same results, but in in his way, not the Father's way, um, those temptations that we face every day. Sound familiar? Those temptations that Jesus faced in the desert, those weren't going to go away. He was going to continue to face them throughout the rest of his ministry. And so the wilderness then was a place of preparation for him to solidify what it would mean to be the son of God and to practice how to trust God in every moment and how to stay obedient to the mission that was placed before him. Now we often think of the wilderness then, as we just did for five weeks in tossing and turning, as this sort of desert place. Or at least when I imagine Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, I picture him in a desert. Is that where you... I've always pictured it happening, right? It's like dusty, it's windy, there's the mirage of like heat that rises from the surface, and there's Jesus worn down and hungry and vulnerable and about to be tempted. But I learned something this week. Isn't that fun? Isn't it great when you learn something new? And you would have thought, this would have been really cool to learn, Rach, last teaching series where you spent five weeks talking about the wilderness. (laughs) But... That's not how it happened. (laughs) Because here's the thing. I learned that the word for desert in Greek is a ramos. Actually, that's word for wilderness that we translate as wilderness. And it does mean desert. But it also means a deserted place, a desolate place, a solitary place, a lonely place. Oh, look at all these things. Here we go. A lonely place, a quiet place. Here's my defense for this is that we spent four of those weeks in the Hebrew Bible, and so this is actually the Greek word, and so we didn't, yeah. So we just missed it one week, that that I was studying the Greek, and yeah. Not buying it, it, are you? You know, grace abounds, right? Can I get an amen? Eremos, the Greek that that we translate as wilderness, also means a deserted place, a desolate place, a solitary place, a quiet place. So maybe Jesus wasn't in the middle of a heat wave desert. Maybe he was. Maybe the point is that he was just alone. Alone with God, fasting and praying in a quiet, solitary place. This wilderness was a place of preparation for Jesus. But it was also a place of strength because he was filled with the power of the Spirit. It was the Spirit who led him there. And for 40 days, fasting and praying, it was a place of strength that he was then able to resist the temptations that were placed before him, to trust in God in every moment and to stay true and obedient to the mission placed before him. I'm looking at that wilderness journey for Jesus in such a different light this morning. Not so much as a desert heat wave. Yes, vulnerable. Yes, hungry. Yes, tempted. But not a place of weakness. We know that because Jesus was not, he, he was not, the devil was not successful in tempting him, right? He held fast. He was resistant. It was a place of strength for Jesus where he solidified his identity as the son of God. This is a habit of silence and solitude then that he practiced first in the desert that Jesus would continue to practice throughout the rest of his ministry. What he learned there in the training ground, what he learned there in preparation 
he would continue to practice as the temptations for fame and glory, to let this cup pass for me, to go my own way, to do anything outside of the will of God for him. Those temptations would continue, and this was a practice, a habit that he formed to trust in God and to stay obedient to his mission. There's another place in, in the gospel of, uh, gospel of Mark, chapter 1, where we see him practice this again. I'm going to try to load it. I saw it disconnect. Okay, that'll work. This is the ch- Mark chapter 1, verses 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, Aramos, same Greek word. He went out to a, desert, a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And, I, and he said to them, Let us go to the next town, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Now, if you know anything about the Gospel of Mark, you know it's kind of like, sometimes it feels like the cliff notes of the Gospel. I mean, it just, bam, bam, everything happens so quickly. Something that takes 35 verses in John is one verse in Mark. It's just, we, some of us love Mark, some of us don't. Some of, it's like the cliff notes version. And so you need to understand that this is Mark chapter 1, and Jesus is already doing the thing. He's already in ministry. He's already preaching. But the way that Mark 1 kind of, presents it, this is like maybe day one or two of his public ministry, and this is what's already happened. He's been baptized, he's been tempted, so now he comes back. This is day one. He learns that his cousin John has been arrested. He begins to proclaim the gospel of God. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. He calls his first disciples along the Sea of Galilee. He enters Capernaum and begins teaching in the synagogue. He heals a man with an unclean spirit while he's there. He immediately then leaves the synagogue, enters the house of Simon and Andrew. They discover that Simon's mother, his mother-in-law, is sick, and so Jesus heals her. And then later, this is verse 32, that evening, after he's entered that house, after he's healed the the mother-in-law, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons." And he would not permit them to speak because they knew him. Okay, then we, that's chapter 1. Jesus does all of that in chapter 1 of Mark. It's the end of a marathon few days. Just days into his public ministry. You're thinking, well, Jesus, you just spent 40 days out there praying and fasting and, you know, being in sync with, you know, a place of strength. And you're, what, you're tired already? <laughs> After a full day like that, a full two days like that. But the next verse, our, our scripture for today starts, verse 35, and rising very early the next morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. That's what it says. After teaching and healing and going to the next town, a line forming outside of the house where he stayed the very next thing he does is go away to a desolate place to pray. This was his source, his connection to God, his very own soul, the way he grounded himself, reconnected, the way that he trusted God in every moment and stayed obedient to the mission placed before him. 
This is how it became a habit throughout all of Jesus' public ministry, something he returned to. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, we see nine different times where Jesus went to the Eremos, the desolate place. Nine different times. Luke chapter chapter 5, verse 15 says he often withdrew. There it is. Thank you. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to a desolate place and pray. Jesus needed time in a quiet place. And interestingly enough, the more people he met, the more famous he got, the busier he got, and the more he withdrew to his quiet place. I'm going to say that again. The busier he got, the more people he met, the more he withdrew. How many of us, the busier we get, the less often we attend to some of our spiritual practices that ground us and keep us connected to God and our very own souls. In seasons of busyness and stress, Jesus shows more time spent in the quiet place. Usually for us, it's the exact opposite. The quiet place is the first thing to go rather than the first place to go, to go to. The first thing we lose is unhurried time to just sit with God in the quiet. In seasons of busyness and stress, we need more time in the quiet place, not less. If Jesus needed it, if Jesus needed time in the Oremos, what makes us think that we don't? So if we want to live a life that looks like Jesus, if we want to practice this life that leads to peace and joy and life in the presence of God, we need to adopt this practice, I think, of silence and solitude. So how do we do that? And I know I can already, you're going, Rachel, on time for this. I'm saying that to my, what? I'm such a uh, checklist type whatever, Enneagram 6. I don't know all the things, but I like to get things done and check it off my list. And time just sitting idly sometimes feels like not productive. I need to achieve something. What's that? This, that is a hack that I've started. It's really great. Jane said, just put it on your list. I have. I've made an appointment every morning at a certain time, right? So how do we do this in our busy, hurried, rushed lives? We need to practice silence. I'm going to talk about that one first. That means both external silence and internal silence. And this is where we can get uncomfortable because the external silence is pretty obvious, right? We just, no music, no TV on in the background, Um, maybe as much as we can, not lots of noise of our families or children around. (laughs) That's when you can start laughing at me. I know. No headphones. So when you are kind of, maybe it's when you're up early or out in nature, in your room, where there's quiet, external quiet. And that's sort of easy to silence. We just turn these things off. We turn off our phone. We turn off the TV. We turn off the radio. External quiet. But the internal noise is harder to silence. Do you know what I mean by that? The internal noise. That's the mental chatter, the running commentary that we have in our heads about everything. The worry, the obsessing over the hypothetical scenarios, the the role-playing of the what-ifs in our future. 
Have you ever done this, the replaying of an awkward conversation with a friend that you just had that you wish would have gone about 80 other ways? And so you play it out in your head over and over, and you obsess over it of, like, did they think that was as awkward as I thought it was? Are they mad? Are they this? I don't have any personal experience with that at all. It's that internal dialogue that keeps rolling, this internal chatter. And I would be willing to bet that the reason some of us might be uncomfortable with external silence is because it's in those moments of external silence when we have to sit with our internal noise of what's going on in our head and our hearts. And I don't like, we don't like that all the time. We want to distract ourselves. We want to move away from that. We want to turn on something, a podcast in the background. We need to take, we need to practice both external and internal silence. And friends, the truth is this takes practice. It takes practice. Solitude is pretty obvious. It's being alone. And I'm not talking about disconnect. Like, I'm not talking about isolated or lonely, like in danger, isolated. I'm talking about engagement or this kind of sense of safety where you are alone yet aware of God's presence. You can actually practice that in lots of different ways. My favorite thing to do is go to a park where I'm still surrounded by people, but I'm alone in nature. I'm not in danger. I'm not isolated or lonely but I have solitude. This sense of awareness that we are alone with ourselves, but also in God's presence. So my favorite place to do this is Beckley Creek Park. And on my day off on Mondays, where I try to practice Sabbath, on the best Mondays, I find myself out there running or walking or reading or praying because you have turned down the external noise but I also have a sense of solitude and awareness of God's presence around me. And, you know, and sometimes I would go for a run. I might take my phone with me, but I discovered that there's a lot of internal chatter that happens when I have my phone in my hand. There's a temptation maybe to turn on some music, which I'm not saying is a bad thing, but if you're trying to set aside some time for silence and solitude, there's also a temptation to, like, check that notification when a new email comes in or check the social media reel. None of that is externally loud, but it's happening in here. I'm reading social media reels. I'm checking an email. I'm worrying about something I've just become aware of that I wasn't aware of 10 minutes before. I can't tell you how my time at the park changed when I just did a simple practice of leaving my phone in the car. Mom, before you get worried about my safety, (laughs) I promise I never go to any of these back trails by myself. (laughs) Very good, she says. I stay around people, but I'm alone in the quiet of nature and my own thoughts. For me, that practice of turning the phone off completely transformed this time of silence for me. In fact, I don't think I can be truly silent internally and externally unless that phone is away. Did you know that the average iPhone user touches their phone 2,617 times a day? This is actually old, too, a few years ago. It's probably more now. And all users of smartphones use their phone for about two and a half hours over 76 sessions. I think two and a half is maybe a low number. What do you think? Most people, most of us have no clue how much that we are on it. And so we say we don't really have time, but there's actually lots of maybe in-between times that we can reclaim by practicing just a simple block of five minutes, ten minutes, 
where that is off in a way and we're sitting in silence. Henry Nouwen says this, without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and to listen to him. There's a story of Henry Nouwen actually going to Mother Teresa for spiritual advice and wisdom. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in that room when Henry Nouwen asked Mother Teresa for spiritual guidance, for wisdom on how to follow Jesus. And she said this, well, when you spend one hour a day adoring your Lord and never do anything which you know is wrong, you will be fine. <laughs> Leave it to St. Mother Teresa to say, just don't do anything you know is wrong. Simple, right? But when you spend one hour a day adoring your Lord. Now, for most of us, we can't do an hour, and that's okay. This practice of silence and solitude, it, it takes just that. It takes time, and it takes practice. So I have a couple of just simple guides for you as you begin. There's also a lot of practices that are posted online for our house groups, but these can be used individually. If you are not currently in a house group, I have two resources actually posted on our website, on our media page. And if you are someone who doesn't... who needs to be doing things even while you are not doing things or while you're trying to be silent. There are three practices I've posted around prayer and reading of scripture that can help you kind of create a quiet time and a quiet place, even if you need to be doing something, if that makes sense, whether it's a breath prayer or Lectio Divina, and you can check that out. But a few things that take some time and practice. First, you just need to find your quiet place. Where is it that you can find a moment of silence? Is it early before your kids wake up? Is it after they've gone to school? Is it when you're just in the car on your way to work? There's a 30-minute commute, and instead of the radio or the podcast or the news or an audiobook, you're just silent. Find your quiet place. I've told this story to you before. Um, Susanna Wesley, the mother of John and Charles Wesley, who had 10 children, but she was a spiritual just giant in the life of John Wesley. It was incredibly formative for his spiritual life. She had this practice, often as a stay-at-home mom, uh, where legends are, is that she would sit on a stool in the middle of the kitchen and put an apron over her head and sit there. And all ten of her children knew, you must not bother mother when she is sitting on the stool in the middle of her kitchen with the apron over her head. She had to create her own place because it did not exist with ten children at home. So find your quiet place. Where is it? Is it the park? Is it up early? It's not up early for me. You already know that. It's after my kids go to school. Ah, that's the coffee is still hot. And there's, find your quiet place. Number two is take your time. Start where you are. Is it 10 minutes? Great. Is it 30 minutes? Great. Is it once a week? Okay, start where you are. You don't always need an hour. Sometimes you need more. But take your time. I remember in seminary, uh, very overwhelmed and busy by all the things to do, all the things to read and papers to, and I just felt like this is so opposite. I'm studying how to be a pastor, and yet my spiritual disciplines I feel like I don't have time for. And I remember the spiritual director at the divinity school told me, start where you are, where do you have time? 
And it was, quite frankly, it was walking to my car at the end of the day. Instead of taking the bus that would get me there faster, I began a practice where I would walk through Duke Gardens from the classroom buildings at Duke to my car on the other side of the gardens. And it took me about 15 minutes longer. And in a busy day, that feels like a lot. But in the grand scheme of things, it's really not. Maybe 10 to 15 minutes longer than waiting for the bus, where I would wait for the bus like this on my phone and then listen to a lecture on the bus and be overwhelmed. Instead, I put a practice of putting my phone away and walking through the gardens and praying as I walked to my car. Reclaiming the time that I had, finding a space, starting where you are, take that time. 10 minutes of prayer, walking to my car. Number three, simply slow down and breathe and come back to the present. Even if you don't pray, even if you don't read anything in this moment, start where you are and simply breathe. There's breath prayer resource online. Become aware of God's presence around you and sort of come back to the present. Number four, I love this. This is what we don't like, though, when the quiet, the internal noise is quieted and all this good stuff, is start to feel. The whole range of emotions might come out of what you're thinking. And even if you've got that mental chatter going, you can just turn that over to the Lord and say, listen, I'm thinking about this, and I'm anxious about this. I'm angry because of this. Express all of those emotions. Then that maybe turn into gratitude and joy of what you're observing around you in the presence of God. It's easy for me to do at the park, not always easy to do at my house. (laughs) All that's going on with you internally, feel it, and may it be exposed in the safety and love of the presence of God. And maybe, just maybe, at the end of that, that might become a prayer as you sort of surrender a lot of your thoughts and feelings to God. Number five is, since the voice of God cut through all the other voices— that still small voice that can come to you when we've silenced everything else. Hear God speak love over you to speak truth into your identity and your calling and into your very being. Taking a deep breath. And then lastly, come to that place of freedom. Now I say this as a simple guide, knowing we might not always feel this freedom every single time, but it takes practice. It takes creating that space, even if it's sitting with an apron over your head in the middle of your kitchen, in the middle of the chaos of your life. I love this quote from John Mark Comer in the book that I'm reading. He says this, our failures slowly lose their power over us as do our successes. We get out from under the tyranny of other people's opinions, their approval or disapproval of us, and we're free to just be us, the mixed bag we are, nothing more than children with our father adopted into love free to be in the process yet to arrive, and that's okay. Start where you are. In silence and solitude, our souls finally come home. I really appreciate this perspective. In that space, out from under, everybody else's expectations, in the peace of the presence of God, free from others' approval of us, we can just be. Just be who we are, adopted into love. That's that sense of freedom we can taste when we start practicing. That identity of the Son of God that Jesus had to solidify in the wilderness, it's something that we need to remember and remind ourselves of every single day. You are a beloved child of God. You are free to just be. And as Mother Teresa has given us permission, free to adore God and worship God. 
without achieving or performing or accomplishing or completing anything. There's freedom in that space when we realize God's great love for us. I'm going to read our scripture passage again this morning as we kind of close. At the end of that big long day that Jesus had, the line of people waiting outside of Simon and Andrew's house, he healed the mother-in-law and all these other people. And verse 35 says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next town, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. His disciples were panicked. They were trying to fix a problem they saw. Jesus is missing. There are people waiting. Everyone is looking for you. What are you doing? (laughs) I think this is the closest we get to seeing Jesus say no. He didn't go back to that house. He said no. We're going to go to the next town and keep preaching the gospel and stay obedient to the mission that's been placed before me. Friends, I know it's hard to say no. But practicing silence and solitude, abiding in the presence of God like this, it means practicing this habit of Jesus, but it also means learning to say no. Because the truth is, we have limitations. We can't do it all. We can't read and see and do it all and succeed at all of it. We have to learn to say no, to accept those limitations. We can't fix all of the problems that we see. But we can spend 10 minutes to breathe, to focus on the presence of God, to remember his great love for us, and to maybe, just maybe, through the noise of all that is our world around us, hear the mission of God that's been placed before us. In those moments, the a million problems that I see that I feel responsible for go away, and very often there's one that's revealed. This is the mission that I have for you today. This is what you can control, and this is what you can respond to. And there's a sense of freedom and letting go of all the other things that truly I'm not responsible for. But it takes learning to say no and practicing making space for silence and solitude. This is one of the hardest ones, I think, in our day and age, but one of the most important. Because our job is to worship God and to make his love known. That's it. To love others. Discerning when and how to do that, of what the mission is for the day, that takes time and practice. To still that silence and to hear the voice of truth. So friends, no, I encourage you to, to try this out this week. Some of you already do it, I know, but find that quiet place. Start where you are. Take some deep breaths. And if you need some of those resources, they're posted online. If you'd like to join a house group as they're going to d- kind of dive further into some of these practices each week, Our sign-up is still live on the back table. I'd love to talk to you after service about joining one of those small groups and growth groups.
But take a deep breath of grace, knowing that I'll be praying for you and practicing it right along with you. Some days very imperfectly, but practicing it, knowing that God is with us. And that's all the source that we need. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for the gift of yourself. We thank you that Jesus himself gives us permission to say no and gives us permission to find time. Even the busier we get, the more time away that we need. That is so opposite from what our world expects of us. And so God, thank you for the permission from Jesus this morning to go to the desolate place, a quiet place, and a ramos, and to find peace in your presence. Help us not to feel shame about what we don't accomplish in that time, but only to feel rejuvenated by your power and by your spirit, ministering to us as the spirit did for Jesus in the desert. So God, we thank you for who you are, and we ask that you would continue to go before us and with us today and in the days to come. Amen.